Section 22 of The Wars of the Roses by Robert Balmain Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 17 The Capture of Henry VI. The Lancastrian party was crushed. King Henry was in exile in Scotland once more. Queen Margaret, the most capable and dauntless of all, was living with her son in meagre state in Bar. France and Scotland were peaceful. Only Annick and Bambara still held out. Their reduction was merely a matter of time. Nothing had happened to change the fortunes of either party during the remaining months of 1463, when King Henry had returned to Scotland and Queen Margaret was in Flanders. Edward spent the time in the north parts, looking after his own interests there. Perhaps he was already coming to the conclusion that the influence of Warwick was too great. It may have been this thought that induced him to show so much favor to the Duke of Somerset, who, though lately his enemy, had become the king's man again at the end of the year 1462. According to the London chronicler Gregory, Edward was always heaping favors on the duke, and the king made full much of him, insomuch that he lodged with the king in his own bed many nights, and sometime rode a-hunting behind the king, the king having about him not passing six horse at the most, and yet three were of the duke's men of Somerset. When in the autumn of 1463 King Edward went into the north, he took with him the duke of Somerset, and two hundred of the duke's men to act as a royal bodyguard. When they had gone as far as Northampton, the sight of Edward's former enemy roused the townsmen to anger, and they rose up and would have slain Somerset. So Edward, to save the duke's life and probably to satisfy the grumblings of his followers, sent him away into safekeeping at the castle of Holt in Denbyshire. Somerset's men, who had been Edward's bodyguard, were sent up to Newcastle to increase the garrison there. King Edward continued his journey into Yorkshire, where he spent the rest of the year 1463 and concluded the truce with Scotland. The castles of Annock and Bamborough still were in the hands of his enemies, Sir Rafe Percy and Sir Rafe Grey. About Christmas the troubles suddenly became acute. The Duke of Somerset left Holt secretly and came swiftly out of Wales with a number of followers, always to be counted on in North Wales, through Yorkshire and Durham, intending to appear outside Newcastle and to be admitted into it by his former men who were now in the garrison. But at Durham he was recognized and all but captured while asleep. He escaped half-dressed and barefooted. His men in Newcastle, when they heard that his treason was discovered, stole out of the city to join him, but a number of them were caught and beheaded. This new turn which affairs took appears to have been due to some preconcerted movement. It was as if the Lancastrians, in the face of King Edward's diplomatic successes in Scotland and Burgundy, were making a desperate effort at home. For the first four months of 1464, Somerset and his party were able to maintain themselves in the north, secure for the time being in the possession of Annick and Bamborough. Edward did not attempt to take the field until the spring was over, but by his diplomatic work he was steadily isolating the Lancastrians. In March, 
Henry's advisers thought it best that he should leave Scotland and join the forces which were upholding his cause at Banborough. The Scots were ready to convert their truce with King Edward into a definite peace. About Easter, the Yorkist commissioners went up to York to treat with the Scots. Chief among the commissioners were the three Neville brothers, the Bishop of Exeter, the Earl of Warwick, and the Lord Montague. While the rest were waiting at York, Montague, as one of the wardens of the march, took a small force up to the frontier in order to escort the Scottish commissioners to the place of meeting. The country was in a turmoil, because not merely were Annick and Bambra in the hands of King Henry and the Duke of Somerset, but also the castles of Norham and Skipton in Craven had been captured by the Lancastrians. This could hardly have happened without treachery from within. The Duke of Somerset was emboldened even to take the field. With a force of eighty spears and bows, he lay in wait for Montague in a wood not far from Newcastle. But Montague got news of the ambush and took another way, and so came to Newcastle safely. From Newcastle, Montague continued his march toward Norham. About halfway, at Hedgeley Moor, eight miles to the northwest of Annick, he again found his way beset by the Duke of Somerset with a strong force which included Lord Hungerford, Lord Ruse, and Sir Rafe Percy. This was on April 25, 1464. The number of Lancastrians is said by the chronicler Gregory to have been 5,000. It is more likely to have been a few hundreds, as they made no stand against Montague's comparatively small force. Among those who stood, however, was Sir Rafe Percy, who fought until he was slain, saying as he died, I have saved the bird in my bosom, meaning that he had kept his promise and oath made to King Henry, forgetting belike that he and King Henry's most necessity abandoned him and submitted him to King Edward. The death of Percy was felt as a great blow by the remaining Lancastrians. Every man took his way with full sorry hearts. Montague passed on unchallenged to Norham, and then returned with the Scottish commissioners to York, where a peace for fifteen years was concluded between King Edward and Scotland. The time seemed now ripe to press the long-continued war to a conclusion. On May 14th, Montague again set out with his hard-working column from Newcastle. Intelligence was brought to him that the Lancastrian force with King Henry, for whom the castle of Banborough was no longer considered safe, was encamped on a meadow called Linnels, by the Devil's Water, about three miles from Hexham. On the 15th, the two forces met in a battle which has taken its name from Hexham. It appears that a number of men deserted from the Duke of Somerset's force before Montague made his attack, and that the Duke's strength was thus reduced to five hundred men. The Yorkist force, on the other hand, is computed at four thousand men. This figure may be too large, but it is clear that the Yorkists had the advantage of numbers. The fight cannot have lasted long. Montague dashed into the meadow and surrounded and took prisoner the chief men of the enemy. But King Henry, who was in the castle of Bywell nearby, made off before the castle opened its gates to the Yorkists. He must have left in great haste, for he left behind his helmet and his cap of state. 
After the operations of 1462 in the north, great indulgence had been shown to the vanquished lords. This indulgence had been answered by new plots and revolts. It was now felt that the time had come to quiet these restless spirits forever. Montague carried out this policy with unswerving thoroughness. On May 15, 1464, the day of the battle, Somerset was decapitated at Hexham with four of his following. On the 17th, Lord Hungerford, Lord Roos, who had escaped from the battle but had been captured next day in a wood near Hexham, with four others were executed at Newcastle. On the 18th, Sir Philip Wentworth and six others were executed at Middleham, a castle of the Earl of Warwick in the North Riding. On the 26th, Sir Thomas Hussey and thirteen others were executed at York, where on the 28th, four more were beheaded. About the same time, Sir William Tailboys was beheaded at Newcastle. Tailboys was a noted Lancastrian who had from King Henry the title of Earl of Kyme in Lincolnshire. He had not been present at the Battle of Hexham, but was taken in a coal pit near Newcastle. There was found with him 3,000 marks which he was bringing for the payment of King Henry's forces. This money was divided as a gratuity among Montague's men, and greatly consoled them for the long period of marching and fighting which they had undergone. The prisoners seem to have been tried for rebellion before Montague as a warden of the march, or in other cases before the constable of England John Tiptoft, Earl of Worcester. King Edward is also mentioned as having been present in York and apparently at the actual trials. Of the prisoners, one only is mentioned as being pardoned. The fortunate man was a certain John Naylor, formerly an official in the chancery of King Henry. Naylor was condemned like the rest, but then pardoned through the influence of the Chancellor George Neville, Bishop of Exeter, who intervened at the request of Henry Upton, one of the six clerks of the Chancery and a former colleague of Naylor. The war in the North was now all but over, largely owing to the energy of Montague. In consideration of his services, and especially for his capture of the Duke of Somerset, he was created Earl of Northumberland by King Edward at York on May 27th, and he was endowed with all the lands of the former Earl, Henry Percy, within the county of Northumberland. The fortunes of the Neville brothers were now almost at their highest point. In September of the same year, 1464, Dr. William Booth, Archbishop of York, died, and in his place the Chancellor George Neville, Bishop of Exeter, was substituted, both by the influence of the king and by canonical election. The war dwindled away in the various castles held by the Lancastrians. Skipton and Craven surrendered immediately after the Battle of Hexham. After the great series of executions, King Edward ordered Warwick and Northumberland to reduce Annock, Bamborough, and Dunstanborough. In little over a month, all was finished. First they took Annock, which yielded on conditions, and so the lives of the garrison were spared. Then they were admitted into Dunstanborough on the same terms. Finally, the two brothers turned their energies against Bamborough, which was held by Sir Rafe Grey, the ex-Yorkist who had turned against King Edward. For this siege, Warwick brought up his great artillery and battered down a portion of the walls. Sir Rafe Grey was wounded 
and his men surrendered the castle on the same terms as the other castles, namely that the garrison should be at the mercy of the king, except Grey, who, as a shameful traitor, was to be at the will of the king. The difference in these terms is explained by the fact that Grey was taken to Doncaster, where King Edward was at the time and there executed. Thus all the great castles were in Yorkist hands, for Norham seems also in the same period to have quietly surrendered. But the long siege of Harlech endured till 1468. King Henry lurked about the north of England for one more year. Scotland was no longer open to him, but it is strange that his friends did not find some means of conveying him across the sea to Flanders. It is true that King Edward's diplomacy made an appeal on the part of the Lancastrians to Philip of Burgundy or Louis XI too risky. But Philip's heir, the Count of Charolais, still openly favored the Lancastrian cause, and would no doubt have forwarded Henry in safety to Queen Margaret in the Barrois. But the attempt to cross the sea does not seem to have been made. Poor Henry found a precarious dwelling with one supporter after another in Westmoreland and Lancashire. But on June 29, 1465, in the district of Furness, he was taken on the information of a monk of the monastery of Abingdon in Berkshire. When he was captured, his followers were reduced to a monk, a bachelor of laws, and a valet. He was taken to London under escort, being met by the Earl of Warwick in Islington. By Warwick's orders, King Henry's legs were fastened with leather thongs to the girths of his horse, and so, on July 24th, he was brought to the Tower of London. End of Section 22